Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you are here today in the house of the Lord, where we can praise his name together, worship him. So please stand with us so we can worship the Lord together, wherever you are.
Praise the Lord. more faith that's available through Jesus Christ, and I want us to go to him now in a word of prayer and invite him to be the guest of honor at First Baptist Church Coronado. So let's bow our heads together. Our Father, we stand before you absolutely needy people, 
Every person here, no doubt, has some kind of a need. It might be physical, it might be emotional, it might be spiritual, it might be some family need, it might be, uh, there's just an endless number of things that we come to you with and that we beg you for and that we await your blessings in. So, Father, I pray that we would commit ourselves to you today and that we would invite you not only to be in this place. We want you here because if you're not here, we should just go home. But we want you to be here, but we also want you to be in our heart, in our mind, in our lives. Father, we want to walk out of here better Christians than we were when we walked in. And, Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know you in the personal way, doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, may today be the day. And we thank you for it ahead of time in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. We've got a good group here today. If you're a first-time guest at First Baptist Church, thank you so much. We know there are a lot of places you could be today, uh, but you've chosen to be here this morning. Uh, maybe you were coerced. Maybe somebody knows something. They have something on you, and they said, if you go to church, I won't tell everybody. I don't know, but for whatever reason, you're here. So in the seat back in front of you is what we call a connection card. We'd love for you to make a connection with us here. So please take this out. Fill it out front and back. If the sermon gets boring, you can doodle on the back of it and uh, just kind of you know burn the time up that way. But uh, we hope you'll go ahead and fill this out if you're a visitor. And if you are... You can either give it to us at the end of the service or we have an offering box to the left of the double doors in the back. That's where our members put their tithes and offerings in. We invite you uh, to put your connection card in as a, as a guest and as a visitor. And thank you again so much for being here. Ryan, where are you, buddy? Come on up here quickly. All right, while he's coming up, <clears throat> I want to mention a couple of things. First of all, uh, today we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper in a little while, at the end of the service, so I want you to be ready for that. We will pass out the elements again in case you didn't get those uh, when you came in. Be preaching on the title of uh, our Lord Adonai, our Lord. Uh, and then check the bulletin for several Bible studies held throughout the week. You're going to feed the sailors today? Okay, next door, free food, guys and gals, free food. And uh, that'll be right next door after the service. Come and do what you're going to do here. We got some exciting news. All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, just real quick, um, wanted to call one of the uh, Navy guys down here. Gavin, if you're in, in the church today, if you want to come down. So um, we had a baptism with uh, Taylor here in this uh, baptism box. What do you call the thing? A baptistry. <laughs> 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 it was a baptism box. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, and then uh, Gavin and I have been meeting, and uh, he wanted to get baptized as well. Yeah. And uh, But he wanted to do it in the ocean, so we did that last Sunday. So I got the shirt here for him. And here is your certificate of baptism. So anyway, let's just rejoice with Gavin. Say, Amen. So. All right, Gavin. God bless you. Glad for that. Amen. And... Uh, Last but not least, uh, another guy here, another sailor, uh, Will Nix. He's getting baptized at the Coronado Beach today at 3 p.m. So if you're free and you want to come join us, um, we'll kind of rally around the beach volleyball nets at the Coronado Beach at 3 and then walk down to the beach. So if you want to come, feel free. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. God bless you. Glad for that. Check the bulletin for other Bible studies throughout the week. We have ladies and men's Bible studies, and you're invited, of course. Next Sunday, be preaching the Lord willing on Jehovah. Raphael. 
Jehovah Rapha. So I want you to be here for that. It's Time Change Sunday. I'm giving you fair warning. This, yeah, this is the one where we go forward. So no late night partying on Saturday night. Go to bed at 7 p.m. and uh, be ready for church on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Also, we'll be talking about uh, the names of Christ, uh, the names of God, rather, over the next several weeks as the Lord as the Lord leads. If you're interested in a get out of debt program beginning March 14th. 7 p.m. March 14th, 7 p.m., get out of debt, stay out of debt, tremendous program, young, old, in between, it's appropriate for everybody. We have a video, so could we go ahead and show that right Close now? Close to 20 years, families have been changing their futures through Financial Peace University. I started it with a bad suit and overhead projector. I set the room for 135 people, four people came. And now today we've had over one and a half million families go through this course. That's over two million people across this nation. You may be wondering, what is it? What Financial Peace University is about is a return to God's ways of handling money, but in a very practical, step-by-step -step game plan showing you exactly how to do it. FPU is about learning how to control your money. When you make these dollars behave, you're going to get this sense of power over your money that you've never, ever had. Don't move into a home with 62 debts or six debts or, or two debts and no money. You move into a home broke with a bunch of debt around your neck, Murphy will move in your spare bedroom, bring his three cousins broke, desperate, and stupid. Marriages are being made stronger. Couples are learning how to talk to each other about money and getting on the same page. The closest statistical correlation to success going through this program are those that actively engage in this budgeting process. And for those that are married, they're doing it together. You change your life when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. When you get disgusted and you have that moment where you say, I've had it. I am not going to live like this anymore. We're done. We're changing this thing. Talk about the why. Talk about your dreams. Ask your spouse. What would we do? Where would we travel to? What would we buy? What would be changed if we became something as a couple where we were working together on that? Now, man, I'm sure you know this, and we've been talking about it for the last few minutes, but it's very true. Women are different, aren't they? Say yes. yes. One of the things you may or may not know is they have a gland right in here that you don't have. It's called the security gland. And when she is feeling insecure due to money issues, that gland spasms, and it is attached to her face. This nine-lesson, 90-minute class will challenge you. Now, this is a boot camp. I'm your coach, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you uncomfortable sometimes. You're going to go home and go, I don't really like him tonight. Now, I don't know if I agree with that, which would make you wrong. That's what happens when the coach coaches you, doesn't it? He kind of rubs you the wrong way. There's a little friction on there, right? I've had some good coaches, and they lit me up a time or two, but it caused me to go places I couldn't go otherwise. Life change is never easy, but you won't be alone. You'll watch a DVD each week and discuss it with your small group. Your classmates will encourage you and help you take those first steps. You'll walk away from FPU knowing how to relate with money. You'll learn how to pay off debt and save for the future. And you'll learn how to protect your plan. We aren't born knowing everything we need to about money. We learn, and there's no better place to learn than the Word. The Bible offers more than 800 scriptures on money, and Financial Peace University is based on that solid foundation. You are literally going to be doing things every week differently than you ever have based on biblical principles. 
Things like doing a budget, things like working with your spouse, things like singles having an accountability partner, things like teaching your kids so that a godly man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. It's not theory. This is actual application on everything. What would happen if the people of God started handling money God's ways? What would happen? If the, what would happen to the kingdom of God if the people of God were out of debt? All you need is a plan. Financial Peace University is that plan. We have helped dozens and dozens of families between the two churches that we've been able to pastor and get on a solid financial footing. So I hope you will consider uh, March the 14th at uh, 7 p.m. Uh, it'll be a nine-week class. If you are interested, take one of those famous Connect cards I showed you a little while ago. Write down your name, your phone number, contact information, and put down Financial Peace University or FPU or getting out of debt or help or something like that. <clears throat> and we will, we will count on you for March the 14th. New member class. Steve, you have one of those clipboards. Would you pass that back? If you're interested in finding out more about being a member at First Baptist Church, go ahead and sign this up. I will tell you this. Going to the class does not make you a member if you don't want to be a member. We were not, we're not going to force you. not going to twist any arms, okay? But if you're interested in being a member, go ahead and sign up. It'll be on March the 20th. We will have a free lunch. Yes, there is such a thing as a free lunch. <laughs> we will provide it. <clears throat> and, uh, and then we'll have the class. It'll be about an hour and a half or so uh, after we dismiss from our regular service. So uh, sign up for that if you're interested. I'm just going to mention the Basque students will be here from June the 28th to July the 27th. If you'd like to host a Basque student from the Iberian Peninsula, close to Spain and so on, then you let us know uh, and we'll get, put you in contact with the guy who's taking care of that. Our people... The Lee family in particular has been really blessed uh, by being uh, parents for a month of a Basque student. This is the bulletin article. You have it there, but let me just put down, it's so relevant, I think, for today. We've all been watching what began in earnest a week ago, really a little bit over a week, about a week and a half ago, with the invasion of Ukraine, Russian soldiers under the direct orders of President Vladimir Putin, the former KGB officer. Very few people believe that the Ukraine would hold out against this far superior force and weaponry uh, of Russia. But as of this writing, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky has inspired his troops, his citizens, and indeed most of the world with his perspective, or perseverance rather, and his determination to resist the Russian invasion. Did you know that his grandfather was one of four brothers who survived the Holocaust? Uh, the other three brothers were killed uh, in the Holocaust. His grandfather survived. He is a Jew, Zelensky is, uh, and he is the one who's a, a very inspirational leader at this point in Ukraine for freedom. The internet has been flooded with proposed prophetic significance of Russia in the last days. Many identify Russia as being Gog and Magog in scriptures. Ezekiel describes such a battle in chapters 38 and 39 of that book. And John the Revelator speaks of Gog and Magog in Revelation chapter 20. The latter battle happens during the tribulation period when the king of the north, thought to be Russian, invades Israel in alliance with the king of the south leading an Arab confederation. Just as Israel is about to uh, be consumed in her, by her collective enemies, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, returns to the earth as his feet touch the Mount of Olives. The Bible says they are cleaved in two uh, and, and they move apart and Israel is saved a nation as in a day. And the armies of heaven defeat the armies of the Antichrist once and for all. In all of this, what's missing? We are. We are. The United States of America are not to be found 
The theories abound. Either we become impotent, perhaps defeated by our enemies, or so many of us have been raptured that the country is, able, is unable to respond in a way to figure into scriptural prophecy. I hope it's the latter. I hope there's so many Americans that are taken off into heaven that uh, that's the reason we're not mentioned. So does this explain anything that's happening in the Ukraine right now? Not necessarily. There's only one thing I know about prophecy for sure, and that's that Jesus Christ is coming back again. And, and you know what? Anybody who's in their right mind, in my opinion, uh, will be right with God in the days in which we live because uh, his coming is very, very soon, we believe. Let's stand. We'll continue to worship the Lord together in the next couple of songs.
Thank you. you. may be seated. You guys have been such a huge blessing to us. I can't tell you enough how much that extra $2,000 gift means to us. Of course, the monthly support is so very huge, and, and just we're so very, very thankful. Uh, we are coming back on furlough, leaving in about three weeks. To come back to the states and um, look forward to seeing you guys later in the year uh, but i just wanted to say a big thank you to you guys just letting you know how much we appreciate you and how much we appreciate that extra gift to us and as we um, close out um, the school ministry and turn it over and as we come back there's just so many extra expenses involved in our travel and seeing family 
and reporting to our churches and just doing ministry. And I just really, um, we're just blown away by your generosity these last several years as you have supported us. Thank you so very much. All right, that's Jim Foster. He grew up in my um, other church that I pastored and has been in South Africa now for quite a while as a missionary. And we were able to send him um, a special offering of $2,000 out of the blue in addition to our monthly support. So he's very, very appreciative for that. We're going to do something else in just a minute. Not quite yet. I'm going to give you time to get your checkbooks out, give my wife time to get her checkbook out. I forgot mine, but uh, <clears throat> thankfully the Lord has provided hers. <clears throat> we're going to take a special offering for Ukraine, for relief for Ukraine. There are a couple of different avenues. I have um, a pastor friend in Romania who is taking in a lot of the refugees, uh, but there's also Samaritan's Purse that always responds in a, an incredible way. They're already um, boots on the ground there. So I'm going to ask you to dig deeply. I'm going to ask you to write, Pat, write a big check off your account. Something funny about that is, is I bought her a piece of jewelry uh, not too long ago, and I went to pay for it, and I didn't have my checkbook and had to have her write a check from her checking account to pay for it. But I did reimburse her. I did. So all's good. I will probably reimburse you for this. So in a moment, after we do the children's message, we're going to take a special offering for Ukrainians uh, who are going through, I can't even imagine, a living hell right now with wartime going on and uh, civilians being targeted. So uh, if you can help out at all, please, please do so. When I dismiss the children, our middle schoolers are going to be dismissed, sixth through ninth grade. They'll go to their class along with the younger children also. So now I'm going to ask all the boys and girls to come up here. We'll take the offering right after this, this lesson. So all the boys and girls of First Baptist Church, come on right up here down, down to the front. For just a moment, got a uh, got a little lesson to share with you that I hope will be something you'll remember for a long, long time. So as all the boys and girls come, oh, my favorite people here at First Baptist Church, let's give them a hand! Yay! All right, boys and girls, how many of you how many of you live in a home or an apartment or a tent or something? How many of you live in? Okay, who? Uh, how many have brothers and sisters? How many have a mom or a dad or an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent? Okay, who's the boss of you at home? Your mom. Okay. <laughs> Truth in advertising. All right. <clears throat> How many of you go to school or you, or you go to private school or public school or you have home school? How many of you do that? Who's the boss at school? My teacher. The teacher. Exactly. All right. How many of you live in a city or a town? Who's the boss of the city or town? Who said that? <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> I wondered where you went. How many of you live in a state? How many, who's the boss of the state? Yeah, I, I don't blame you. Okay. How many of you live in the United States of America? Who's the boss of the United States of America? We're not sure, so we don't know. But <laughs> how many of you live in a world called the Earth? Yay, almost everybody. All right. Who's the boss of the earth? 
you are right. God is the boss of the earth. God is really the boss of the school. God is really the boss of the state. He's really the boss of the city. He's really the boss of your home. He's really the boss of everything and everybody because he is the main boss. There is no bigger boss anywhere. And, And I will tell you something. The devil one time tried to become the boss of God and he got kicked out of heaven for it and he's been a problem ever since then. God is our creator. He gave you life. God is our sustainer. He keeps us alive. He's our redeemer. He's our protector. He's our owner. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and he always will be. So remember, who is the ultimate boss? That's right. God is. So let's pray to him right now. Let's bow our heads. Everybody bow your head. Father, thank you so much for these boys and girls and pray your blessings upon them in the class. Thank you so much for teachers who invest their time in teaching these boys and girls. God, lead them and show them how to become Christians when they're old enough to understand. And Lord, we pray that until then you would protect them and keep the devil from them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. All right, boys and girls, go to the classes. Uh, Middle school, go ahead to the patio, to your class. And we're going to go ahead and ask our ushers if they would uh, take their positions right now. Father, bless this offering. God, bless those people in Ukraine. Father, bless those Russian soldiers, some of them just kids, sent off to fight a war they have no interest many of them in fighting and god we pray that evil would be put down that evil would be restrained and that lord you would be sovereign in both russia and ukraine and the united states of america well thank you for it in jesus name amen go ahead and pass if you make the check out i forgot to tell you you make it out to first baptist church we'll make out a collective church check to give to the uh, relief organization All right, while they're doing that, in this study, we must remember that our English Bibles are translations of Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic for the most part. And not everything, when you translate, translates exactly as or as clearly as we might desire. And again, this is a review, but let's let's take the basic titles for God. The English alone doesn't always identify which name of God is being used. So uh, when we have the next slide, you'll see that we have God when it's capital G, small O-D in the King James Version and in some other translations. When it's spelled like that, that means it's referring to El or Ella or Elohim. Elohim, you remember that name? And we'll talk about that more in a minute. If you see the name Lord with all capitals, L-O-R-D, all capitals, then that's standing for the uh, the, the Yahweh, which is really an unpronounceable name of God, but we put vowels in to help us. We call it Jehovah, uh, Jehovah God, and Genesis 2, 4 is where that appears. If you see the title Lord, capital L, small O-R-D, that's today's name of God that we're going to talk about, Adon or Adonai, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 2. So, so if you have a certain translation, you can get some insight into who's Uh, being addressed and who's talking uh, by the way the names are spelled so unless we know that distinction we wouldn't know what name of god is being used i mean you just you'd see the title god or the or the name god you wouldn't know elohim is is the first title of god mentioned in the bible it's the fourth word of the book of genesis in the beginning god that's elohim and elohim is plural in form but singular in unity. So what is that? Well, that's a precursor for the Trinity. And Elohim, uh, when that's used in the Word of God, it always is referring to his omnipotent creative powers, that God is an omnipotent God and a creative God. Uh, Then Jehovah, we learned, was the covenant name of God. Uh, Elohim is general. Jehovah is specific and personal. 
in Elohim, you have a righteous God, a holy God, and that righteousness and holiness of Elohim condemns us because we're sinners. But the love of Jehovah, that personal name, that personal relationship of God, the love of Jehovah redeems us. So Jehovah is God's name of redemption in the Old Testament. Last week, we learned that Jehovah Jireh, or Yehovah Yireh, as we would pronounce it, both which are mis mispronunciations, means it will be seen or the Lord Jehovah will provide. And we talked about that incredible story with Abraham offering his son uh, on, the, on the mountaintop in Moriah. So today we need to move to another name of God and we'll visit some of the compound names of God with both Jehovah and Elohim and the Lord willing in the weeks to come. But today we're going to talk about Adonai. Uh, and anywhere in the Bible that the, the name Lord, capital L, small, lowercase o-r-d, is found, it references Adonai. So here's some facts about Adonai. Uh, Adonai appears in the Old Testament some 300 times, and it always appears, and I didn't know this till I studied this. I went to Bible college, didn't know this, uh, but it always appears in the plural possessive. So Adonai, whenever you see it there, capital L, small, lowercase o-r-d, the plural possessive, lords, lords, my lords. So uh, it, it's a plural and shows possession. God is our ruler. God is our master. God is sovereign. He's master over all. So it confirms the idea, too, of the Trinity because it's plural, right? So you have one God, three manifestations, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not three gods, one God, in essence, we have the, the three, the Trinity. So, so the Adonai means our ruler or our master, and it's in the plural. Now, it's the, the name Adon, Adon, A D O N, is used 215 times of men, and that means master or sir or owner or lord in the sense of the British system where they have a system of lords. They're not gods, okay? They may think they are, but they're not. Uh, lords and serfs, I mean, there was, there was class distinctions back in those days, um, but Adon is the term used for uh, human beings. When it's Adonai, it's always a plural possessive when it's talking about God. So the, there's this clear distinction there. Now, this, this all of a sudden opens up and reveals, if you've ever read Psalm 110, verse 1, I don't know if I had it up there, Psalm 110, verse 1, I don't know, no, I don't, I, I don't guess. Is the next slide up there? bottom. There it is. Psalm 110 verse 1, but I don't have it written out. But here's what it says. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So you read that and you go, what? The Lord said to my Lord? What, what, what is that all about? And quite frankly, I can remember being confused by that verse uh, a long time ago. Um, but now read it this way and it makes sense. The Lord Jehovah said unto my Lord Adonai, sit on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So it's Jehovah the Father speaking to the Son, A-D-O-N-I, Adonai, uh, saying uh, the, the prophecy here. They in fact, Jesus applies these very verses in Psalm 110 to himself in Matthew chapter 22, and beginning in verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? And he wasn't, by the way, Jesus Christ doesn't mean first name, last name, Jesus Christ, like Jim Bays, doesn't mean that. It means the, the Messiah. So Jesus, the Messiah, 
to distinguish him from all the all other Jesus people named Jesus. So what think ye of Christ, the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they said unto him, he's the son of David. That was the promise, right? Throughout the Old Testament, Davidic covenant, the Messiah will come through your line. Uh, and so, uh, so that's who he is, the son of David. And then Jesus says, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit on my right hand till I make your enemies my footstool. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And it doesn't say this, but I happen to know what they did next. They began scratching their heads. And they said, ah, and because it says in verse 46, no man was able to answer him a word. Neither did any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. <laughs> they weren't trying to trip him up anymore after that. He, he, he answered in a way that no one else could. They could not answer him. They were as confused as we we're confused initially reading that verse at some point in time, uh, but it also, uh, when the different names of uh, the titles of God are used, it becomes much clearer and, and understand. So the importance of knowing the names of God are in play in Psalm 110 especially. Now the use of Adonai in the Old Testament, Adonai um, reveals the relationship of God with his created beings. It also intimates what's expected of us. The first use of the name Adonai is in Genesis 15 too. And it says here, he's talking to Abram and Abram before he was named Abraham early on in his, in his life, Abram said, Lord Adonai, God, Lord, which is Adonai, God, which is a variant of Jehovah. Uh, and, and in other words, Jehovah uh, is also Abraham's master. He's not just our master. The Lord was Abraham's master. What will you give me, seeing I go childless, Abram said, and, and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. How, what, how's this all going to work? I, I don't have any children. You're promising me uh, this great nation that's going to come forth out of my loins, and I don't even have an heir. My heir is a slave in my own household. How's this going to work? And, and so God answered that, of course, a little bit later, but that, in Genesis 15 too. Now, Abraham knew what titles meant. Uh, these were days of slavery. I'm going to enter into something here now that's probably going to be controversial to many of you, but I, I, I offer it to you to, uh, for your suggestion uh, to, that you think about it. Uh, these were the days of slavery. It was common in most nations of the day. It was just, that's the way it was. When, when armies went out and fought battles and defeated countries, they enslaved the people. That was not an uncommon thing. And Abraham understood the complete possession of a person and he also knew a little bit about the complete submission of a person who was a slave to his Lord. Abraham himself uh, was called an Adon, A-D-O-N. Remember the term for, for humanity, for men, uh, meaning master, but he was not Adonai, which would have meant he was God. Okay, there's a difference. But he was called an Adon. And the idea of slavery is something that flies in the face, obviously, of every single one of us today. Uh, and, and when we think of slavery, we think of the indignity, we think of the inhumanity, we think of the abuse, the beating, the, uh, uh, the heartlessness of owning people as chattel. How in the world could that have happened? How in the world could Abram have had slaves and, and still be right with his God? Uh, and here's where the Bible makes a big distinction uh, about the privileges of the slave in Hebrew culture. And again, I don't expect you to just believe this all at once, uh, and maybe you never will until you get to heaven ask God, and then he'll say, yeah, preacher was right. Uh, but, <laughs> but the hired servant 
was not permitted, for example, to eat the Passover with the Lord of the house. Hired servants weren't allowed to do that. But guess what? The slaves were. They were counted as part of the household. The slave was to be protected by his Lord. The, the slave was to be provided for by his Lord. Uh, affection was not unknown between masters and slaves. Now, um, here, Abraham, Abram still, not yet Abraham, Abram said, my slave is going to inherit all that I have. So that's, that's, that doesn't jive with our understanding of slavery as was practiced in many countries in the 1800s and, and before that. Um, but um, there, was, there was a provision for slaves uh, who were permitted to go free, who, who had earned their freedom, but if they didn't want to leave, see, I, I, I don't understand this thinking probably very accurately, but, but again, there were slaves who, when they were able to be freed, said, we don't want to be free. We want you to be our master for the rest of our lives. And so they would take them to a, a door jam, and they would take an, an owl, not an owl, that would be painful, an awl, and they, they pierced their earlobe. And I don't know if they put an earring in, or I don't know if they put something in, but they pierced their, and then that person would become that master's slave for life. Again, something that we can't, can't comprehend in our society today. Uh, Moses addressed God as Adonai in, in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 10. He pleaded with the Lord Jehovah, Oh God, Adonai, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. And I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied my words get tangled. And then God replies to him and says, I'll be with your tongue. I'll be with your mouth. Who formed your mouth? Who gives you the ability to speak at all? I'll be there with you. And, and then he pleads in, uh, later on in this, in this chapter, Lord, Adonai, please send someone else. What he's saying is, I'm your slave. You're my Adonai. You're my master, my ruler, my Lord. Please send someone else. So here we have uh, no wonder that God gets angry with Moses because we have a slave saying to his master, I can't do what you told me to do. And that just wasn't right. That wasn't copacetic in this society. Uh, send someone else. And so Moses was trying to, to, to evade God's specific orders. Hmm. Do we ever do that? I wonder. Do we ever come to a point where God, we know God wants us to do something and we refuse to do it? And we have a whole list of reasons why we can't, right? You know, Moses here's like, I can't talk. I stutter. Well, funny thing is, when God became angry with them and God said, here comes your brother, he'll go with you, let him do the talking, and they take off to Egypt, and you don't ever hear Aaron say another word. <laughs> Moses is yakking all the time, talking to Pharaoh, talking to everybody, never has a problem. So you know what? Um, Moses trying to evade God's specific orders, and, and he had his excuses, and he had his reasons why he couldn't do what God told him to do, and folks, when God tells us to do something, we ought to do it. We ought to just do it. Our Lord never commands us to do something we're unable to do. Let that sink in. He never commands us to do something we're not able to do. Our Lord equips us to do what he calls us to do. My cousin's here, her husband from Kentucky, and uh, growing up, we grew up together. 
in, for a while in Illinois, and then I always wanted to go back to Kentucky. She always wanted to stay up there. She's the one who went to Kentucky with her parents. I was the one who stayed up in the Chicago area. Uh, but uh, I don't know what I was going to say now. Uh, <laughs> got my brain all twisted around here. Uh, oh, when I, when I surrendered to ministry, I had uh, some friends who, when they'd find out I was going to be a pastor, they're like, what? And that's before, what? What's the thing? You know, they, it was just a natural reaction. Their mouth would drop open, and they're like, are you sure? And uh, I was like, yeah, I'm sure. So, uh, so Moses realized that the, the Adonai God, Master Lord, told him to do something. He better go ahead and do it. In addition to Moses, Joshua learned the same thing. Gideon learned the same thing. Gideon was out in the field harvesting grain, hiding from the enemy because he was scared to death. And, and the Lord appears to him and says, oh, mighty warrior, or something to that effect. And Gideon said, who are you talking to? I'm not a mighty warrior. I'm scared to death. But God equipped him, and God gave him a job. We find that David, of course, was called and, and, and responded to go to Goliath, was responded even before that with protecting sheep. He, all through his life, the Lord, God, was Adonai to him. The psalmists record that. The Isaiah does. Jeremiah does. Ezekiel refers to Adonai 200 times in the prophecy called by his name. And Daniel, 10 times in just 17 verses, refers to Adonai in chapter 9. So many times, there are many references to the sovereign lordship of God in our lives. The word sovereign is not found in our English Bibles. You can't find anywhere in, in the English Bible where it uses the word sovereign. But the idea of sovereignty and the sovereignty of God is absolutely real and valid and ineffectual. He is the ultimate ruler. God is the ultimate boss, the ultimate Lord, the ultimate king, the ultimate everything. He is the final authority. So that saying, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely, is not true. With human beings, more power tends to corrupt. With God, who is the only absolute power there is, there is no second place. The only absolute power, there, there is no corruption. He is absolutely holy, absolutely pure, absolutely uh, righteous in every, in every single way. So, so the sovereign lordship of Christ, he's the ultimate ruler. He is the almighty. That's a word that comes close to, being so, to, to the word sovereignty. Um, a, a potentate is also one of the words that refers to him. Uh, one time uh, we had, last week we had... Uh, Paula here, Paula Dunn, and she went to Liberty, and Jerry Falwell Sr. was, uh, was a, a great friend in the ministry, incredible guy. I could talk for a long time about him. One time he was going to be in town at the Albar Shrine. How many know where that is? Okay, and, and, uh, and it was a big, he had the old-time gospel hour at that point. We had an ad after the old guy, uh, the old-time, I can't say it. Lord, send someone else. I can't. <laughs> The old time gospel hour, and we had an ad for our church, and, and man, people came by the drove to our church because of that ad. Well, I, I knew this is going to be a great night. Jerry Paul was going to speak. I drove over there. I drove through the parking lot. I don't, I don't know how many spaces they had, but every single one was full. I mean, there were hundreds of parking spaces, and they were all full. I'm driving around the building two or three times. I finally come right next to the building. It says, reserved for the most high potentate. 
I'm a child of the king. So I pulled right in the most high potentate's parking place for and I stayed there the whole the whole night. He is our most high potentate. It's not us, it's him. So the principle of Adonai in the New Testament, now the word it doesn't, it's not Adonai in the New Testament, but the principle of Adonai uh, in the New Testament is this. Uh, while Adon, A-D-O-N, is used of men many times, Adonai, A-D-O-N-I, only is used of Jesus hundreds of times in the New Testament. Hundreds. He is our Adonai, spelled a little bit differently, uh, missing an A, uh, but he is the Adonai of this life. We do not belong to ourselves. We have, listen to this, we have no right to say what we're going to do apart from what God wants us to do. We have no right. We belong to him. If you're a born-again child of God, you are God's child. You are not your own. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you. And here's the truth of the reciprocal indwelling. Because God is in us if we're born again, and we are in Christ if we're born again. So it's reciprocal indwelling. He dwells in us, we dwell in him. That's what that means. We're in Christ, Christ in us, which, which you have of God, he says. And Paul says, you are not your own. You're bought with a price. How much did we cost Jesus? His life, his blood. The blood of the Lamb of God. Therefore, he says, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, so the name or the title used in these two verses three different times is the Greek theos, T-H-E-O-S, or theos, which is the equivalent of the Hebrew Elohim. I, if you're not seeing all this, if it's not up there, my apologies. It's my cousin's fault. I didn't have time to do my slideshow right. So what it's saying is we have been redeemed or purchased with the precious blood of Christ. How many remember S&H green stamps? Yeah. When we got married, your grandma gave us several books of S&H green stamps with the stamps all put in already and all stuck in. And we went down to the Redemption Center and we turned in our green stamps, and we got a set of stainless flatware, which we still have. Single rows, lasting rows. All right, lasting rows. So we purchased our stainless flatware with the S&H green stamps. And those items, those, those forks and knives and spoons and serving set became ours. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've been purchased, if you've been redeemed by the Lamb of God, you no longer belong to yourself. You belong to him. He purchased you. We became God's property. I'm going to take it a little bit further in a minute. So as a result of that fact that we're God's property, it is not unreasonable for us to serve him. In, in Romans 12:1. In a different translation, NLT. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I bleed with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice and the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship God. You can worship God singing. You can worship God preaching. You can worship God giving. You can worship God obeying him. But one way is to worship him, to worship him is to doing what he has said to do. 
living according to the words of God. Now, further, we're warned not to deny our master who purchased us from the slave market of sin. Now, you may be sitting out there and you may be saying, well, preacher, I'm going to tell you this, this much right now. I don't want to be anybody's slave. Too late. Because you already are. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. Those are the only two choices. There is no third option. You're either a slave to sin and not necessarily to the devil. I mean, you're, you, the devil is going to be in a heap of trouble uh, one of these days as well as everybody else who rejects Christ. But, but you are either sin's slave or you're God's slave. So you're somebody. You're, one leads to eternal life, the other to eternal death. Being God's slave leads to eternal life. Being sin's slave leads to eternal death. So what is it, Pascal's Wager that we talk about, Dan, every once in a while? What is Pascal's Wager? It's a basic idea. I don't know if I'm saying this exactly right, but you have, as a Christian, you, you have everything to gain and nothing to lose by being a professing Christian. Everything to gain. Heaven, seeing your mom and dad again, you know, seeing loved ones who are already there, grandparents, uh, the joys of God providing for everything, everything to gain, nothing to lose. It, you know what that means? If, if, if an atheist is right and there is nothing after death, I die and I'm dead, I have nothing to lose. I'm just dead. But as an atheist, you have everything to lose and nothing to gain. Because if he's right, he's just as dead as I am, I'm dead as he is, we're dead as dogs, that's it, we're done. One and done. But if he's wrong, he has everything to lose for all of eternity. So I'm not a betting man, but um, I would rather believe and have everything to gain than to not believe and have everything to lose. And the destruction is not only eternal, it begins in this life as well. Second Peter 2.1 says, But there were also false prophets in Israel, and just as there will be false teachers among you, they will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master, the Adon, Adonai, who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Starts right here. You remember Saul going to the road, on the road to Damascus with papers of... Um, uh, crimes theoretically committed by Christians, the crime of, of worshiping Jesus and uh, was going to put him in jail and, and, and persecute them as, as he was oft known to do. And he was confronted on the road to Damascus, a bright shining light, uh, and, and he was knocked off of his, his steed, his, his mount, his donkey, and, and there he asks the Lord, Lord, which is Greek for Adonai, Lord, Kurion, what will you have me do? Saul already knew who it was the master speaking to him, the one that he persecuted. And so after he came to Christ, uh, he, he was a new creature, a new creation, and everything became new. In fact, his name was changed. He went from being known as Saul to being known as Paul. And so he says here, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? Yet, for if I please men, I should not be the servant of Christ in Galatians 1.10. And the word for servant in Christ is doulos. Some of you know that word. You've heard that word. Which means a permanent slave. So Paul says, I am now a permanent slave of Christ. 
Later on, he would say, from henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? Another translation says, let no one interfere with me, says Paul, because I am a slave, the branded slave of another. <laughs> and I showed some pictures to my cousin uh, that you've probably seen because I've shown them here before. When I first came to First Baptist Church about seven years ago, uh, had a six-foot-five seal atheist Tatted and branded. I mean, he had tats everywhere. He had something re across his belly button. I didn't want to read it because I thought that was weird looking. But uh, he had stuff everywhere and, and, and branded and, 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 just kind of, and he was an atheist. Well, later on in July, I baptized him in the Pacific Ocean. He got saved, became a child of God, and then he was branded in a whole new way. Neil the Seal got branded by God. How did Paul react to being God's permanent slave, branded slave. 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me the strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve. In, in Romans chapter 14 and verse 8, for whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. And whether we live or we die unto the Lord, uh, we are the Lord's. We belong to him. I just love these. I tell you about them as often as I can remember them, but the coincidences that happen. So I'm studying this message, began studying this message about two weeks ago. Um, and this last week, I got a, a an email, or not an email, it was on Facebook, um, a posting from Ed Rothenberger, a pastor friend who used to pastor up in Oxnard for several years, was a good friend. And and just an excerpt from his his post was Christian, the name Christian, is from a compound Greek word, Christos, which means Lord, and Ianos, meaning a slave in a great house. For instance, a slave in Caesar's house would be called a Caesarianos, which is hard to say. Later, Ianos came to mean one who follows a cause. So a Christian is one who follows Christ and is part of his great house. I love that. He is the Lord. He is God. He is the sovereign. He is the only one. He is the boss of me. He is the boss of my wife. He is the boss of my church. He is the boss of my city. He is the boss of my state. He is the boss of our country. He is the boss of the earth. He's the boss of all nations. He's the boss. There is no second, third person. They're all. He, he, God is the boss. So remember the, the reference I made to slaves back in the Old Testament days, and that's found in Exodus 21, 5 and 6. His master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. So though the idea of slavery is repugnant in our society and the way it was practiced should, should be, however, in Bible days, it meant that the slave would be cared for and protected and provided for the rest of his life. In reality, that probably wasn't the case. There were, there were mean slave owners in biblical days just like there were later on. But what it means when it comes to our sovereign being our Lord, our Adonai, or in the New Testament, our Adonai with an I instead of an AI ending, it means we don't need to worry about provision for tomorrow. <laughs> He's got it. He's got us taken care of. So Elohim, the omnipotent God of creation, and Jehovah, the covenant name, personal name of Almighty God, is my Adonai. Elohim. God has power to do anything. Jehovah, who loves me intensely, personally, is my slave owner, and I am his slave and honored to be so. So is he yours?
Is he yours? Who do you want to serve? Sin? Or the God who is sovereign above all others? Our Father in heaven, I pray for every man and woman in this congregation right now. And Lord, most of all, if someone is here not ready for heaven, not saved, someone is here and they're still slaves to sin rather than to the Savior, then I pray that today would be the day when they find ultimate freedom in an act of servitude. Ultimate freedom, free from death, hell, and the grave because of faith in Jesus Christ. With every head bowed, every eye closed, for just a moment, can I ask you a personal question? How many of you will say, Preacher, as best I know, I've, I've received Christ as my Lord and Savior. I believe if I died today, I'd be in heaven tonight. And I'm so thankful to God for his salvation, his provision. Would you raise your hand up and hold it up real high for just a moment? All over the auditorium, there's a great many people. Thank you. Put your hands down. How many would say, Preacher, the fact is I know I'm not really ready. I'm not really ready. I haven't come to that point yet where I'm Christ's slave. And I want you to pray for me. I won't embarrass you. I won't point you out. I won't call out your name. But just raise your hand up. Let me pray for you. Say, preacher, pray for me. God bless you and you and you. Yes, thank you. You can put your hands down. Anyone else? Anyone else? How many would say, one, one last question with every head bowed. How many would say, preacher, I, I don't know. I'm just not real sure. I, I think I'm okay, but I'm not real sure. So just include me in that prayer. Would you raise your hand up? Hold it up. Yes. God bless you, folks. All right, here's what we want to do. Let every head, bow, every head bow, every eye closed. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart, God has raised him from the dead, that we can be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I want you, if you're so inclined, if the Holy Spirit's leading you to make certain of your relationship with Christ, would you right now in your own heart, in your own mind, you don't have to pray it out loud. You can. It won't upset me if you do. But it, you, you don't have to. God knows what you're thinking right now. And would you say to him something like this, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. And I know one day I'm going to die because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, my Lord. I believe that Jesus is your son, your only begotten son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And right now, this morning, I want to make sure of my own relationship with Christ. So, Lord, I ask you to be my Lord and my master. Forgive me of my sins. Be my personal Savior. I trust you in Jesus' name. With every head bowed for one more moment, if you just prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand up real high? I just prayed that prayer. God bless you, 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 you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you in the very back. God bless you. Yes. Father, I'm so grateful. So thankful for these who are wanting to make sure of their relationship with you. Now, Father, give them that assurance. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you an assurance from the word of God that does not return void and does not lie. The word of God does not lie. And the Bible says, these things have been written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Present tense possession. Already have it. 
because we've believed in Jesus Christ as our Savior. So if you just prayed that prayer and you believe, then you already have eternal life. Now, this body may die. Mine's kind of iffy. To put it in English terms, it's a little dodgy. My eyes don't work exactly right. My ears don't work exactly right. My knees don't work exactly right. My knees don't work at all. Um, yeah. So we may lay this body down, but we'll never know spiritual death because he's promised that we have already eternal life. Those of you who raised your hands and you haven't already done so, right back by the sound booth on that little table Right at the corner of the sound booth, there's some blue bags. I want you to pick up one of those. I want you to take them home. And uh, there's a book in there, a little booklet, Because I'm Saved. I want you to read it. First thing you need to think about is getting baptized. That's what that is right there. Whatever, whatever Ryan called it, I'm not sure what he called it, but the <laughs> baptism box. Now, like I said a few weeks ago, uh, some of you, you were sprinkled when you were born, right? You were, you were, and you say, well, I'm, I was sprinkled, but this is, this is the baptism booster. <laughs> so if you want to be fully baptized, you got to get boosted, right? Right here by immersion. So we'd be glad to take care of that. Anytime you'd like to, you let us know. We'll fill her up, heat her up. This is not the Pacific Ocean. There are no bat rays down there. There are no white sharks there. You can see all the way to the bottom, and it's going to be toasty warm, I promise you, for, for your baptism. But go ahead and think about that. Um, and we're going to go ahead right now, and if you have not received communion elements, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. We have folks that are coming from the back, folks that are coming from the front. They will get the communion elements to you as quickly and expeditiously as they possibly can. Our Savior instituted what has become known as the Lord's Supper or Communion or the Eucharist or the Last Supper, known by a few different names. But he reached out on the Passover table and he gathered two elements to be incorporated into the Lord's Supper. One of them was the unleavened bread. The unleavened bread is a symbol and a type of the body of Jesus Christ without sin. Because it's without leaven, leaven being a type or a picture or a symbol of sin throughout the, the word of God. As leaven permeates the dough, so sin has permeated our world. And, and our world itself is in chaos 
not just the people, the world itself is in chaos, but this symbolizes the precious body of Jesus Christ that was broken uh, on that cross uh, for our sins. And so Paul recounts that, and he says, I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, in the same night which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for the precious body of our Savior, born supernaturally, but clothed in flesh, tempted in every way like as we were, yet without sin. He went to that cross to be my sin substitute. And like Isaac of old was on that altar and then was, was replaced by the ram, became a substitutionary sacrifice. So Jesus became my substitutionary sacrifice. The innocent dying for me, the guilty. So I thank you for the precious body of our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Next, he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. And so he gave thanks for the cup. Father, we realize without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And while Christianity is accused of being a bloody religion, we have to confess it is. It was a bloody religion because God, your son, bled to cover the sins of the world. And he's more than our atonement now. He is our propitiation. He is our payment for sin. And we belong to you because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen. He said, drink all of it. The Bible says, after the institution of the Lord's Supper, they sang a hymn and went out into the Mount of Olives. And what we're going to do, I'm going to ask you to stand right now as much as possible. Join hands with those that are around you. Our praise team is going to lead us in a chorus. Thank you, Lord, for saving our soul. And this will officially dismiss the, the service this morning. I want to thank you in advance for being here. I appreciate so much your being here today. And I need to have my leadership team meet over here in the adult classroom, please, immediately after we finish here. I know it's fun to talk, and I, I love it, but if, if the leadership team can meet me immediately, I would appreciate it. So, praise team, lead us in. Thank you, Lord. prayer pick up those blue bags in the back on the table god bless you have a great rest of the lord's day thank you for being god's